Hello and welcome to episode 213 of What Most People Think. Uh, I'm coming to you live from the fridge. Live from the fridge. Don't we say live from the fringe, don't they? Like that somehow, even though you're going to be listening to this after I've recorded it, just being live at the Edinburgh Fringe. It is a well, listen, I mean, the uh, not all people, not everybody thinks that that is a cool thing these days. Um, just to update you, I'm back. It's on my wife and son were up for a few days. That was very nice to see them, but I'm now... It's made it worse, really, because I've had to go back to my shitty student accommodation. And I went for lunch yesterday with a friend of the podcast, uh, Ian Stone, who's li- living in a very nice flat. He paid a few quid for it. And he he, um, he was good enough. This is what I love about being a bloke. Is he, um, instead of sort of empathising with me, he called me a twat uh, for being so tight with money and then just showed me loads of uh, photos of his really nice flat. <laughs> That's what I like about being a bloke. He's going, well, you're an idiot. Here, here. I'm going to show you how good my situation is. Good. Sheldon Freud, one-on-one. But yeah, thanks to everybody that's been coming to the show at The Fringe. I'm recording this on the Sunday. This should be up on the Monday. The Late Show is the biggest venue I've ever sold out at The Fringe. It was 200 people at 10 p.m. We sold it out. And I've been doing my show at 5.20. And my God, I'd forgotten how easy it is to swear at 10 p.m. than it is at 5.20. At 5.20, that C word, it just hangs on the air. Do you know what I mean? At 10, at 10 p.m., I was spraying the C word, left, right, and center. And uh, But the, the other thing that happens is that, is that a lot of the men have had more beer by then. Uh, so there was a lot of men in that room that... Um, they had bladders about the size of a walnut. Um, we should say as well, uh, the Lionesses, uh, I'm recording this after Lionesses lost... Uh, in the World Cup final to Spain. And just to show that um, there is true equality now, I was walking past a drunk, homeless Scottish guy and he was singing, Hey, after sunny speed, fever, this, but I thought that, you know, in a weird way, it's, it's always kind of tragic, isn't it? That, you know, there is a certain kind of Scottish fan that just lives through our failures against other countries. But then I thought in another way, that is true equality, isn't it? You know, he's taking the piss out of the lionesses. That, that's what's got to happen. And, you know, after the final, I saw all these people going, oh, well done, lionesses. All right, mate, they, they didn't turn up for the final. Can we talk about the fact that they played a bit shit, perhaps? But, uh, but listen, you know, well done, the lionesses. Oh, my God. And then, yeah, you got this thing right, which I, I thought was quite funny on social media, was there was cl- clearly some blokes... Uh, that sort of wanted a medal. Blokes, we always want a medal. As you know, I truly believe that. But there are some blokes that like, um, just watching the Lionesses, my doors is so inspiring. Mary Earps for PM. And you're like, mate, you know, it's, not, it's no longer like a brand new thing watching women's football. Just talk about it like you would talk about football generally. Not like it's some, it's not like it's, they're doing it for the fucking Pride of Britain Awards. They're a football team, you know, it's reasonably... Well funded compared to the past. Let's let's expect trophies. We won one last year and we fucked up this year. Who's the manager? Vigman out. Serena Vigman. Vigman out. V- let's let's be every bit as unreasonable uh, as we are for the for the men's teams. Um, so yeah, as I say, I, I am up at the fringe, and obviously, as a few of you have messaged me through the Patreon site, is I will be talking about issues at the fringe, and obviously, people will be aware of the uh, the cancellation of the show that had Graham Linehan on it. I think I want to talk about that, but also pro- problems more broadly at the fringe. I think there's a lot more going up here than just that. So in the first half of the show, I'll be getting into that. And then with my book, The British Bloke Decoded, which is out on September, mid-September. So it's available uh, for pre-order now, 
please pre-order it, preferably the hardback, you know, because then after that, if you are on Audible, you get a free credit and then you can listen to the audio book. But as a little, uh, I say a treat, let's be honest, an enticement to buy. I've got a, a full chapter a short chapter about manning up, uh, which we're going to play in the middle of the show. And then after that, we're going to talk to uh, the man whisperer. Just a quick chat uh, for you emotionally retentive guys. I know some of you that when we do the uh, the mental health stuff, you, you freak the fuck out. It's just going to be a short, punchy chat, plenty of immature jokes in it. So just chill out. Uh, we're going to chat about stuff as well with Kenny. New patrons. We've got a board member. We've got a board member, Darren Hill. Uh, Darren, welcome to the board. Of course, you will get a signed and inscribed copy of my last book, Where Did I Go Right? How the Left Lost Me. Also, for all board, board members, meet and greet at my tour. So if you're coming to my tour, all you need to do is go to a... Uh, um, um, what the? F- why can't I speak? A member. Th- I did two shows yesterday. This is what happens. A staff member at the venue. And you come back to my dressing room and sit on my lap. I'll bounce you on my knee and I'll ask you what you want for Christmas. Uh, <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, Darren Hill. So, Darren, you are a board member now. I'll be sending you some executive stress toys, you know, the ones from the 80s, one of those balls. They just made me feel more... They made me feel like fighting those balls. I don't know where... When they said stress toys, did they mean that they create stress? Or those little metal balls that you just click backwards and forwards? I, I mean, that was the kind of thing that made sense before people had social media. It's basically saying, you're in your big office, you're overpaid, you've got fuck all to do, why don't you watch some ball bearings just clack into each other? And then we had Twitter, and then you said, oh, why, instead of that, why don't, you just, why don't you get in a row about gender instead? Lose your job. <laughs> uh, Domain Talking Point, David Domain, who is a super patron, and he keeps an eye on last week's episode and brings up little issues and clarifies things. Uh, David said that Leo, he was first up, he was very pleased to see Leo back on the show on top form. And if you haven't listened to it, it was a very, very funny episode with Leo Curse. Uh, we spoke, Leo spoke about the declining quality of Waitrose. And David said that Leo may be interested to know that there are just seven Waitrose stores in Scotland. Seven? That's not, is that, have they got like a, an equivalent? You know, like, like, yeah, uh, you know, like, you know, like up here, they don't really have, do they have the cart? But they've got Scott Mid, which is a thing we don't have uh, down south. They don't have Waitrose stores. Uh, in comparison, we've got 342 in England because we're fancy fucks, that's why, eh? Spending fucking three quid on a litre of goat's milk, you pricks. Um, Wales has six, uh, and there are five in the Channel Islands. Well, that tells its own story, doesn't it? If you think about the relative population of Scotland and Wales, there's five in the Channel Islands. Because, you know, when you're not paying tax, you can afford that fucking three-pound goat's milk. Um, Isle of Man and Nairn have none. No waitrose uh, in Northern Ireland. I'm just following up something from a patron last week that we read out anonymously, whereby on the eve of uh, a wedding, the bride decreed that uh, the best men and all the people from the stag do couldn't be a part of the, of the wedding party on the day and I wanted a, a follow up because I was like well what happened do you know what I mean did you get arrested in a foreign country were you using unlicensed bazookas when you blew up a cow or <laughs> I don't know does that even happen on stag do's anymore in fucking Latvia um, but he got back in touch to explain uh, he said first up cheers for reading out well look if you're a patron there's always a higher chance if you want to join the patron just go to the uh, patron site and put in Jeff Norcott or what most people think uh, honestly mate me and the other lads were mostly well behaved uh, mostly well behaved on the stag. Um, right, right, here, here we come to it. So, 
I think she gets jealous that we satisfy a part of his personality than, that her and her friends don't. Whoa. Bitch, take it. You were absolutely... St- you, have you ever said that to her? You, tell me that if you ever say that to her, you do that thing, you know, like drag queens do, and click in front of your hands and go, because we just satisfy something that you can't bring, girl. And then you turn on your heels and you walk away. Yes, that is. That is in some ways one of the most brutal things that you could have said. You could never... <laughs> I mean, it's almost now getting into like two women fighting over a man. You could never make him feel like... I make him feel when we sit watching Soccer Saturday, drinking Fosters all day. Um, but thank you for getting back in touch. So it wasn't really a big one-off thing on the stag do, but it was more an ongoing thing that she's jealous that you're exciting and fun. You should, you know what you should do? You should do like a Pussycat Dolls, you know. Don't you wish your fiancé was fun like me? Don't you wish your fiancé played Xbox like me, don't ya? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> a quick thank you uh, and a fuck you before we get into a bit of chat about the fringe. Uh, the thank you, the thank you goes to uh, my wife and son for coming up to see me. I mean, when you're in the fringe, when you're up at the fringe, you always got your head up your ass a little bit and you're a bit, I mean, a bit self-absorbed, constantly checking ticket sales, who's liking the show, all this stuff. It becomes a bit me, 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 and nothing focuses the mind as a bloke uh, on other people than. Walking up and down a big street and trying to find a place for lunch. Do you know what I mean? That's the real world shit. You're with your wife and your son. Everywhere's busy. And you're like, right, I need to go into husband mode now. I need to start Googling. You know, maybe do a quick map search. Cafes nearby. By the way, no cafes nearby in Edinburgh. It's really hard to just find a place that does a cooked breakfast now. Because you put in cafe and everything's coffee, 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 pastries. Page, you want pastries or coffee? Coffee or the pastries? And not only that, they're all such fucking trendy places. There was one place... It, he said that you could come and have a pastry and there'd be live sculpting. I don't look, man. When, <laughs> when, when it's a weekend and I'm away, I, there's no part of me that wakes up and went, oh, just, you know, I, I want processed meat. I don't want to be sitting there thinking, oh, yeah, that, that, that really does look like Plato. I really want to think that that does look like a, a Plato sausage. That's the worst joke I've ever done on this podcast. But please, Edinburgh, just have more fucking cafes. The only place, ironically, that you can get a decent fry-up is one of these brasseries now that goes, there you go, plate of fried food, 17 quid, cheers. The fuck you is quite a general one. It's to people that wear hats. I've always felt that a hat is a big shout, you know. The hat is a big, like, they're all a big shout, aren't they? Baseball caps... You know, you're still wearing them in your 40s baseball caps, really? Flat caps, what you think you're a fucking peaky blinder? Every kind of cap just annoys me. A fedora, what you think you're the man from Del Monte? I mean, it just, it all seems pretentious to me. But then I saw a comedian who shall remain nameless. And then I saw this comic. And some hats are way more of an invitation to look at you than not, I would say, okay? Some hats are like film star hats. You're going, look, I don't want to be seen today. And then why are you wearing a fucking hat do you know what I mean? Like you're one of the Hemsworth brothers out in New York, okay? So I just I just think hats, you better be, if you're wearing a hat, any kind of hat, just, you know, you get these ones as well, like you'll be a local boozer, like a Weatherspoons or something. There's a certain kind of guy, normally just stands outside rolling a roll-up, standing on the stairs of the pub, looking around as though he's looking out across the plains of the Serengeti. And the reason I say the Serengeti is because he's wearing some sort of hunter hat. What are you hunting for, mate? You're just hunting for fucking... Pints of IPA for £2.15. <laughs> Those guys make me laugh. So just, just I, I fuck you to, to all hats. You can't persuade me otherwise. Hats are for dickheads. Uh, and if, you've got, if you want to come at me, what most people think, UK at gmail.com. All right, let's have a little bit of a chat about what's happening 
to the Edinburgh Fringe. Okay, so first thing, we catch up on the recent story, which was that Comedy Unleashed had a show uh, at the Leaf Arches in Leaf, surprisingly. And it was it was um, cancelled once it was revealed that the mystery comedian on the bill was none other than Graham Linehan. And first up, right, there's this new kind of prick that you get online. At the moment it was cancelled, they do this thing where they try and flip your own logic back on you and go, it's just market forces, guys. That's actually all that's happening here is capitalism. You go, well, one, the gig was the gig was sold out, so it's not through lack of demand. And then you think, if you're going to throw the, oh, it's just market forces argument, then I'm just going to quickly look at the rest of your timeline. And, oh, look, you think that uh, you think that the government should, you know, pay for people's fucking pet food. So that does you know, if you're going to talk capitalism, at least see it through. But anyway, I'm getting distracted already. Uh, so the venue was uh, a queer venue, and I'm never going to feel comfortable saying that. That was like a really bad word for so long. I just, every, just saying queer just sounds like I'm doing a hate crime, but apparently that's, you know, the catch-all word now. And so when they found out it was Graham Linehan, they cancelled the whole show initially. And then they realised that maybe that might seem just a bit intolerant. And then they amended that to, um, we've cancelled that comedian from the lineup, which is not something that you get to do if you've got an external promoter. You can't tell them who's going to be uh, on the lineup. And all sorts of shit happened after that. All the, you know, it really became a big old row for several days on social media. And people saying, oh, it's Sadovich again. It's not, it's not really, it's a bit different because, you know, Sadovich was cancelled for stuff that he did on stage, right? Uh, Graham Linehan, uh, I don't think his act, is, is, he's sort of learning to do stand-up. I don't think it's massively controversial. I think it's for things that he said off stage and indeed mostly uh, online. So I'll come down and say that I'm always going to come down on the side of not cancelling people, you know, or stopping people saying things, you know, where possible. You know, let people go on and say it. If you've got a problem with what they've said afterwards, then react to that. I would say as well that Graham Linehan, uh, I'm not exactly where he is on the gender issue. You know, I suppose my views would be classed as gender critical. I'm not as far down that road as he is. And I would say that, you know, if you if you find Graham Linehan particularly distasteful and therefore you want to cancel him, the, the, the sugar rush of cancelling somebody from one show... It hasn't really worked. If you're saying you want to deplatform someone and then they're on the BBC News and generally these stories broadly create sympathy uh, with the British general public, it's sort of created a bigger platform, isn't it? It doesn't make any sense. We're going to deplatform you. Uh, from, you know, like on Gladiators, you know that tiny little plinth they used to stand on when they used to have the pugil sticks. And we got, instead of that, we're going to, yeah, we're going to have uh, an aircraft carrier of a platform. Doesn't work. It doesn't work. And, and, and in the end, Comedy Unleashed, as you know, I do their shows in London. Uh, they have all kinds of comics, left-wing comics. They have ev- comedians of every belief. And the only thing is, is just don't hold back, right? So they end up getting cancelled from a second venue and then they end up doing a show outside the Scottish Parliament, which kind of, uh, you know, it looked like a tough gig and, and the performers said that it was hard. But as, as, a, as a sort of fringy type thing, I don't, I don't know if I've seen anything as, as fringy as... People literally just being so cancelled that they're on the actual fringe of the festival um, itself. And what's happened since is, you know, I did a tweet initially saying, you know, I just I don't like this new trend of cancelling shows at the fringe. Why can't the people whose values it doesn't align with just not go that night? And I haven't checked the replies, but I'm sure there's loads of people telling me I'm an arsehole and a fucking bigot for saying that. But equally, the fact that I stood up for not cancelling the show uh, also meant that I've got a lot of new followers uh, who I would imagine that a lot of them are quite gender critical or fans of Graham Linehan, who over the next few days started saying to me, 
you know, why aren't you boycotting the fringe? So I, I basically tweeted about the extra show that I've got. And I'm sorry, I know this one is a bit of a social media heavy thing, but I think that this is where this story is currently living. And, and, and they said, why aren't you boycotting the fringe? I was like, boycotting the fringe? Do you know how many... I think that this person just thought that there's one... The fringe is just like this one venue. The Edinburgh Fringe is just this one theatre. There are hundreds of venues. It just doesn't make any sense to boycott the fringe. It's like, it's like if um, British Airways, you know, they stopped hiring Christians. And you say, right, I'm fucking... I've just cancelled my ticket with EasyJet. And also, I've seen as well a lot of people saying, well, you know, the Edinburgh Fringe now, you can't say anything. And it's certainly fair to say that the Edinburgh Fringe skews massively, and I mean massively, left-wing, progressive, and all of this stuff. But it's not true to say that you can't find edgier comics who are, you know, sort of funny and fearless, which I always think is, is a good combination. Uh, someone like Adam Rowe, you know, from Have A Word podcast, he never pulls his punches. Uh, Tom Stade, whose show I went to uh, at The Stand, who said, I mean, Jesus Christ, in that hour... There's enough cancelable stuff there, but he does it with such charm and charisma, and it's funny. I am going to quote one of his jokes now because I just think it's a really good joke to prove how clever you can be and make a point. So he's doing a routine about uh, being in an Uber, and then he ends the routine by saying, thank you, Abdul, and then the audience obviously get a bit tense uh, because he's used what would be seen to be a generic name for an Uber driver, right? And the audience in their little, some of them in their little guardian anxieties are thinking, did he just do a racism and stuff? And then Tom says, which is just one of the best lines, he says, what, you don't want me to use his real name? I thought, fucking brilliant joke, man. He just basically turned the mirror back on them and gone, how ridiculous are you being? That was the guy's name. I use it in a routine and you're all sitting there feeling tense because, you know, wondering what it really means. So I, I'm sorry for quoting directly a routine there if that ruins a joke for you, but I just wanted to use it as an example of how you can do uh, stuff that kind of feels edgier um, at the fringe and do it um, in a smart way. I think that there's a problem for the fringe in that two years running we've had shows cancelled up here and it sends out a bad message because if you think about the overall audience that go to the Edinburgh Fringe, it's always thought of as being bohemian middle class types. I tell you, if you come up here on a Friday and a Saturday, it doesn't feel like that. It really doesn't. And among the broad audience is a lot of people who like the idea that not all comedy has to be edgy but that people won't be self-censoring too much, right? And they want to feel that comedy doesn't, you know... Is not afraid of itself. And, and you keep on sending out the message, you know, that, that shows are getting cancelled. If it happens against next year, they just think, well, maybe that's not my place anymore. And the final, sorry, this has been a real, real serious bit, but I really, I've sort of grown, despite myself, I do love the Edinburgh Fringe. I do love being up here. And I, I'm sort of wondering what its point is anymore. Because, I, you know, I can now come here and sell tickets. The point for me is obvious. I come here and sell tickets. I enjoy it. I enjoy being on stage with the punters. I feel like the show is made better and that's, that makes sense for me. But for a younger comic, you know, you can't make a star here like you once did. It used to be you come up, you have a good Edinburgh, you know, get some good reviews. I mean, beyond maybe the Times, Telegraph, and to a certain extent, The Guardian. Okay, yes, the, but I know some people go, The Guardian, Jeff, yeah, you know, it's, it's seen as a worthwhile review up here. Um, <laughs> the, you, know, you know, you get your reviews, you do a good Edinburgh do an Apollo, do the panel shows before you know it. You're on a nice little tour. Then you're on a, then you're on the one show. You know, within two years, you're with fucking Graham Norton. You're sitting next to The Rock doing anecdotes on Graham Norton. That was a path that that could happen before. But you can't make a household name in that way because, one, the audiences for those shows aren't what they were. So instead of six million people watching the big stand-up shows, it's 700,000. Instead of, you know, sort of three million people watching panel shows, it's less than a million, uh, unless it's one of two panel shows, which, you know, is very hard to get on. 
So, and meanwhile, social media becomes like a, a more established way or, or, or a more effective way of creating a following. You go, well, what, what the fuck is, you know, what's the draw? There'll be younger comics that will, you know, genuinely funny comics to go, you know, spending eight grand doing Edinburgh, I could, I could spend eight grand on, on my social media content. So I'm just, I'm just really interested as what's happening at this festival. A lot of you listening to this will think, well, the problem is cancelling shows. And that's definitely one of them. But I think there's a lot more stuff up in, happening up here. Okay, um, my book, The British Bloke Decoded, which I never mention because we never have advertised on the show, do we? Apart from <clears throat> all the stuff I do. Uh, it's out next month, so please all pre-order the hardback. Uh, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to play for you uh, one of the chapters, a chapter called Manning Up, and then we're going to have a chat with Kenny Marmarella de Cruz, a.k.a. The Man Whisperer. But first up, here's the chapter. Sometimes you really do need to man up. A few years ago, I saw an advert by Lloyds Bank, which bugged me. It was a bunch of celebs, no doubt being paid obscene amounts of money, who were queuing up to tell us why they hated the phrase man up. It wasn't long after Me Too and society had moved on to conducting a more general audit of the male psyche. Watching the advert, I bristled. For one, I suspected a couple of the celebrities didn't fully believe what they were saying, but had seen which way the cultural headwinds were blowing and elected to make a few quid off it. I was also suspicious of yet another big multinational riding the wave of whatever virtuous sentiment was doing the rounds that week. I have no idea whether the people who wrote, conceived or indeed approved the ad believed man up to be a genuinely harmful phrase. For all I know, they could have signed off on the copy, then gone on a debauched weekend in Prague firing rockets at cows. However, as we've all come to realise, corporations fear social media backlash above all else. So now we get lots of touchy-feely adverts which are the equivalent of that guy at college pretending to be a feminist so he could snog some girls. For blokes, on a basic level, man up is useful shorthand for when you want another male to stop being fussy or simply take one for the team. Picture a scenario. You're away on a stag do. There's four of you in a budget hotel room. Three of the lads wish to sleep with a window open, for we are men, we cannot be too hot. However, your mate with the poor circulation doesn't stop wanging on about how cold it is. He's not going to win the argument, it's three against one. So eventually, you just have to tell him to man up and turn out the lights. There's no way you're all going to tolerate being hot just for him. Plus, the room needs a through breeze to dissipate the increasingly oppressive fog of man musk. Some people might take exception at the deployment of man up in that context. But what else are we supposed to say? Come on, Wayne, find your non-gender-specific inner fortitude. In such a scenario, I'm much happier to be a bloke. Simple democracy can win the day. I'd imagine the exact same scenario on a Hindu might play out a bit differently. Women, generally being more sensitive to other people's needs, might at the very least entertain Soppy Claire, who has suddenly declared she wishes to sleep with the light on. They know it's unworkable, but they might talk through the issue, wishing to give Nightmare Claire a sense that she's at least had her say. They might even explore the idea of the other three girls sleeping with blindfolds on. But I'd be hard-pushed to sacrifice the simplicity of being able to tell another bloke to just belt up and crack on. It makes life easier for the tribe when you're able to play this card. Will Wayne have grown up nursing psychological traumas from being told to suck it up in this way? Possibly, but look at the upside. We, as a society, will spend less time sleeping in unnecessarily hot rooms. 
And yet the phrase man up is in some quarters problematic, possibly because there's an implied expectation that this characteristic is somehow exclusive to men. It's a fair point, especially given that the phrase involves the word man. This doesn't, however, exclude women from having their own equivalent, though woman up doesn't sound right, bird up, wench up. It's hard to get a phrase that scans properly and doesn't sound like a sexist insult from the 1600s. Women have plenty of words and expressions that celebrate qualities they think are unique to them. They can multitask, they can listen, they can cling film, they can actually find things in the house. Blokes rarely get upset when women claim all these virtues as their own. There's even a song, I'm Every Woman, written by Nicholas Ashford of Valerie Simpson, which posits a litany of frankly supernatural abilities all women are believed to possess. The song includes the belief that women are mind readers who effectively manifest in the face of danger, then concludes with, I ain't bragging. No, not bragging at all. Just a clairvoyant oracle with the ability to physically appear in the face of peril and basically do everything. But fair enough. It's a great song and only popular in the first place because women's emotional power is something we all benefit from and can identify. But could you have the blokey equivalent of I'm Every Woman? And what would it even sound like? Sadly, given the cultural tendency to think of blokes at rubbish, it would probably tend towards self-deprecation. The lyrics would be something like, I'm every geezer, it's all buried deep within me. I can't read your thoughts right now, nor do I have the inclination to. So man up has become a discredited phrase, even though balls, as a metaphor for courage, has somehow continued largely uncontested. It's legitimate to query balls as a symbol of bravery because the metaphor actually correlates male biology with courage. But is it a myth? Of the blokes I've known, the one with the biggest balls I've ever seen was a nervous wreck. Eventually, he got the nickname Buster. A lot of the women in our social circle got the wrong end of the stick and ended up discovering that his stick wasn't the reason he was called Buster. Big balls, however, still carry with them the idea of prestige. Maybe this comes from the hokey idea that bigger testicles produce more sperm. Except it's not hokey at all. Big bollocks really are more fertile, despite it seeming like one of those myths science would shrug off as bollocks. Some women prize large penises as a sign of virility. But the science suggests they should really be making potential suitors do a cough check rather than getting out the tape measure. And what of this idea of courage coming from a man's balls? At the very least, they do seem to produce more testosterone and are associated with higher levels of aggression. Though aggression and bravery aren't the same thing. And as an owner of profoundly average-sized balls, I would say that, right? One thing you can say about balls is that they're odd. The only delicate bodily organ to hang outside the body. It's a ridiculous design flaw to let something so vulnerable brave the elements in this way. That might be where the courage idea emanates from. It's not the balls which bestow bravery, it's the place they've chosen to live. Balls literally have the balls to be balls. They sit in full public view knowing they could get really cold, really hot or have a football slammed into them to the great delight of any watching males. So I empathise a bit with the queries over why balls stand as a metaphor for courage. But as society progresses in great leaps and bounds, could we maybe just keep the idea that manning up is a male thing? Call it heritage sexism. The concept has uses we can all benefit from, especially when it comes to marshalling potentially unruly younger males. Picture this. It's a family Christmas and you've invited too many people over. For many blokes, anything more than immediate family could be considered too many. But bear with me. You haven't got enough space to sleep, everyone. You're a room and a blow-up mattress short. Someone in the family is going to have to sleep in the living room on a makeshift bed made up of cushions from the couch. Who is going to take that bullet? Definitely not Nana. Nor your uncle with the bad back. Any of the middle-aged women? No, they won't have that. 
the kids. It'd feel too much like an adventure and they'd never stop talking. So will it be the strapping 25-year-old male family member? Of course it will. He'll whine, sure, but you have a phrase at your disposal to eventually silence him. Man up. For this brief moment, he's expected to make a minor sacrifice for the good of the group. Don't feel bad for him as he strops into the front room, carrying the worst duvet in the house, often some god-awful floral relic from the 70s. This is a good moment for the lad, an opportunity for personal growth. He'll wear his morning backache as the equivalent of being daubed with blood after the first kill. He might make a fuss, but the reaction of the group will teach him that society does not care for a fussy man. On a simple level, manning up is useful. If the dogs need to be walked and it's raining, man up. If the takeaway bought three Big Macs and one fillet of fish but nobody really wanted the fillet of fish, bloody man up and eat that fishy burger. When a nervous flyer really wants the aisle seat but you desperately didn't want to sit in the middle so paid extra to avoid it but this person is freaking out and hey, it's just a 12-hour flight, right? Man up. Sit in that seat. Everyone on the plane will benefit from you doing so, even if the large sleeping man next to you has started whimpering and nuzzling your shoulder. There are obvious limits to manning up. It is not applicable to anything in and around your actual physical health. Whatever the tough guy gurus say, there are no viruses or cancers which can be sweated out. And if being forced to sleep on couches is causing genuine mental health issues, say if it's drifted into a six-week, even when there are beds free, it's time to speak up. Manning up isn't a gentleman-only club. Everyone's welcome. It would just be nice if it was one phrase we could hold on to. Only time will tell. But for now, consider the merits of manning up. Knocking your everyday sense of importance down a peg or two. Job done. Okay, making a welcome return to the podcast uh, is the man whisperer himself, a.k.a. Kenny Marmorella de Cruz. Kenny, it's great to have you back on the show. What a relief to be back. I've been aching for it. A relief? <laughs> it sounded like you had the podcast equivalent of blue balls there. <laughs> <laughs> which of course is not a thing that's something that isn't blue balls something that that young men once made up to try and get sexual activity with women like the, the young men made up the idea that if they didn't somehow have sexual congress and ejaculate that, that something bad would happen to them well i think on the nhs relieving your blue balls is definitely recommended for good mental health Right, every, every, how many how many days? I mean, is it like you know, like the the chart that shows the intensity you should exercise at? I'm sure that the masturbation chart also tails off once you get into your forties and fifties. Depends on the individual, you know. It's like with some people, it's not how many days; it's more like how many hours or how many minutes. Jesus Christ! <laughs> okay, so what, you don't much... remember that phase in life. I've just got too much crying to do these days, you know? <laughs> Real men cry. Boys we, just we... ejaculate. <laughs> oh, my God. This is like in some deep metaphor now. The, 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 the tears, they're all tears. Oh, wow. Salty tears. Oh, my God. Where have we started here? All right, let's dial it back in a, a little bit. So we're just coming out of the audio chapter on manning up from my new blue, uh, book, The British Bloke Decoded, which is... Uh, coming out uh, in mid-September and available for pre-order. Um, it's interesting, really, because the book is pretty light-hearted and stuff, and some of the stuff is quite just supposed to be fun. But it's amazing to me that I know that launching a defence of an idea like manning up is contentious. But what, why, why is a phrase like that? How has it even become contentious, Kenny? There's this whole man up, like, stiff upper lip, 
or you should do something dangerous or you're doing it wrong. And for me, it's like put on an act so other people approve of you. Where for me, I've nicked it and I've turned it around to man up and talk about it. Because for me, it's like telling the truth about what's going on, good, bad or ugly, especially the bad or ugly. That's more courageous than just getting pissed or, or making a joke of it. Um, but manning up, what exactly does it mean? For me, it's more like get authentic, get real. What is really going on right now? And sometimes it's not let's just get deep and meaningful about everything. Sometimes it's really, really important to have a damn good laugh and to just press the reset button. It's not all serious. Do you know what I mean? I mean, manning up, it, it, it sort of became a stick to be... There was a sort of general, after Me Too, you know, which was yeah. a, a sort of... There was certain valid elements of... Well, a lot of that was valid in the first instance about blokes that were leches or perverts or sexual harassers. But then it kind of widened its scope, didn't it, to discussions about, you know, just men generally. And then it felt like it sort of became an onslaught against masculine values. Is is it something uniquely male whereby, like you said, I think you're right in terms of telling the truth. I think a lot of stand-up actually comes from that, having the bravery to just get out there and say, say what you think. That is the bliss of the British sense of humour. It's like there's so much repressed that the comedians get to tell the truth and take the piss about what everyone in the room is thinking anyway. But... I'm not scared to use Well, we the... should do, Ken. I don't know, this festival, that's not always the case these days. But uh... <laughs> Oh, man, it's changed, doesn't it? Like, comedians are scared to do the university circuit because everything's so woke. Is that right? Well, what it has... I mean, I've always sort of trod the line, but there is a point where, you know, if I talk about manning up, I'm aware that this is contrary to the expectations of a sort of festival-going audience, broadly speaking. They might not think there's a problem with the phrase, but they might not expect to hear somebody come out in support of it, mm. uh, you know, in a live stand-up comedy uh, environment. But I, I think that, it, I guess it comes down to, it's like, a, it's like a call to arms, isn't it? It's like, man up, take yourself less seriously. Sometimes, yeah. could you just cope for the short term for the sake of the, the tribe? Society generally doesn't like blokes. Blokes are scary, blokes are stupid, blokes are lazy, blokes aren't to be trusted, blah, blah, blah. And it's a bore. It's an absolute... What? Are we all Homer Simpson or something? Give us a break. Are we all abusers? Do you know what I mean? It's just ridiculous. Um, and I know, and I'm going to be 59 next week, and I know that I'm still a threat for some reason. They were... Eight of us went to Holland recently because two of our facilitators live over there. And the people who hired us the boat expected trouble because we're blokes. So what, we're going to trash the place and get pissed or something? It's just like, we're men. We're not boys. We know how to hang out and have fun without trashing the place and having to get pissed all the time. But yeah. I suppose, yeah, Bloke maybe then differs, you know, because people might throw it in with geezer or lad, which is something I mentioned in the book. I, I don't I don't think they're the same thing. I know I'm not saying to be a bloke you have to be middle aged, but I do think it comes from a, a perhaps a, a mindset where you've sort of learned you learn about yourself a, a little bit. Maybe you have a, a certain calmness. Uh, that, you know, you're, maybe you're a bit useless at remembering the, the birthdays or even the middle names of the people that you love. You know, that is, mm. I would argue, quite a blokey thing. Um, yeah. But 
there does seem a lot of the advice that, that comes at the moment, which is blokes need to be more empathetic, talk about their problems more, cry more. A lot of it does seem to sound like to me there's a coded parenthesis, which is be more like women. You know, as <laughs> and and you you, you never seem to be, <laughs> you never seem to be able to push it back the other way. And you go, all right, could we not learn from each other? Whereby you go, there's one person said, talk about your problems more, and maybe if we talk about our problems more, maybe you talk about your problems less. Perhaps mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is there a degree? But there's always this sense that men are the work in progress, right? That mm-hmm. have always got to learn. And, and, and women, broadly speaking, are some finished model of humanity that men, all we can do is learn as much from them in the time available. But then isn't it common that women go, oh, there's a nice bit of raw material. I'll fix that up for myself later, <laughs> rather than he's about right. I think well, so many... you know, a doer upper. That, exactly. A lot of women. There is no if you if a bloke says that about a woman, like oh she's got potential. A few years with me and I'll have her right as rain. Even saying that felt fucked up, Kenny. But women and look, if we're honest, there is uh, the love of a good woman can do uh, incredible things. But do and and women can learn from men. But you can't formalize that. You can't say out loud like you know when she met me, she didn't have a. You know, she didn't have a fucking clue about, you know, good films or whatever. You, know, you can't... <laughs> so I educated her. Imagine if you said that. <laughs> and, yeah, it's also, I think, an issue around performance because I have seen the most burly blokes, rich and famous, big business leaders, as soon as there is an eyebrow raised by a woman or a slight criticism or... Um, withdrawal, then they will just crumble because the abandonment of a woman, and I guess in a way you could call that toxic femininity. So if masculinity is yang and it's loud and femininity is yin and it's kind of silent, and if if that withdrawal and abandonment is there, a man's going to fall apart. It's just the way it goes because we, I believe, blokes are loving where women... (laughs) are powerful and all we want is love so it's like okay do i need to perform emotions do i need to perform vulnerability what do i need to do so you don't abandon me or so i get laid or so i'm not in trouble or whatever it is that you want i'll do it i'll second guess it but better still tell me i'll perform it and then everything's okay do you know what i mean well, it's interesting. I think a lot of women will be surprised to hear what you just said, and a lot of blokes won't because they won't think about power. We're encouraged to think about power in terms of public power, not private power. Yeah. But if you think about the private domain is where most of our emotions live and, and reside. And I've, I certainly, you know, haven't had a, a strong matriarchal figure in my life, you know, my mum and, and, you know, I just I pick strong women to be around. But, the, but that's one of the things, I guess, that got glossed over in the last wave of feminism is the idea that women didn't have huge power in, in personal lives. And the thing that you, th- you said that I think probably will resonate most is just blokes go, just, just tell me what I need to do. Like, I, I want you to like me. And, mm. and my, I, it, that, to me, is way more important than my own principles or self self my dignity yeah so 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 what is it that there are a lot of blokes that will just spend a lot of time trying to work out how they're supposed to act exactly even with each other what do i need to do so my mates think some think i'm cool i'll act like a monkey i'll build up big muscles i'll brag I'll, i'll get a new watch or a car or whatever anything what do i need to do so i'm not abandoned or humiliated 
And I would say that most blokes fear abandonment and humiliation and dedicate their lives to avoiding the both. And men are loving. Look in the playground. The poor little boys will do anything that they need to do and they will play house and school with the girls and the girls will generally tell them off for being naughty boys in school or bad husbands in the home and they'll play along as long as they get their attention. And I've seen this in my friends, my family, the kids I was brought up in my street, my cousin. We all played those games. <laughs> I've mm. seen those little girls turn into, not all of them and not all the time. And I only say that because I don't want to be in Hashtag trouble. not all women. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what they grow up into. That's what we see on TV. That's what we see everywhere. So a lot of people copy that. But men want to be loved. And men are available to emotions, whether it's laughing, crying, or loving. Boys have to survive where men can meet each other and women and their kids in a much, much, much greater depth. And that's worth its weight in gold. So the whole man up thing for me is man up and be yourself. Against all odds, irrespective of the consequences, be who you are. Do what's right. Don't sell out. That's what it's about for me. What most people think. Well, man up in the case of like an everyday situation with a bloke then. So you get into the situation, and this happens in relationships. I think this is, I'm willing to say this is fairly common in the male-female dynamic, whereby a couple are together, right? There's a broad sort of equality between them. He courts her, which I think is, you know, it's natural, and mm-hmm. he, he brings her things and wants to make her, her happy. She makes his life better. That's often the exchange that goes on between men and women, right? And, yep. it, and it kind of works. Then, um, and then a baby comes along, and then the woman has an, a, a, an enhanced ability, it seems, to keep this thing alive and fed and know what it needs. And then blokes kind of go, fuck, she's really good at that. and But there's a lot more pressure on her. So... She is cross more of the time these days, and I get a few pelters here and there. There are some arguments, maybe I felt like I should have won, but fuck it, let it go. But then, <laughs> this, you know, anything for a quiet life, right? The old phrase. Then, what happens though? This is what I think happens in a lot of relationships, because I've seen, you know, family, friends, and stuff, is that you get a few years of that, and the kids grow up a bit, and there's been so many years where this guy wasn't himself, right? Didn't mm-hmm. stand up for what he believed in, mm-hmm. and he's like on a fucking losing streak. Of arguments, like she's twenty, she's sort of three hundred and sixty and oh. Do you know yep, what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This guy hasn't won an argument since fucking Blair was in power. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, she's going. Well, why didn't you bring this up years ago or decades ago? I've, and quite, yeah, quite legitimately so, because <laughs> he's thinking. You know, there's two things. There's a concession. He, he did what he thought was the right thing, or if he's honest with himself, he just wanted a quiet life. But exactly. there's something. That's risky, isn't it? To just continually take the quiet life. In a way, in another way, look at the layers of fear. Firstly, she's pregnant. And God knows what happens with female hormones when they're pregnant. And the bloke needs to be with her, provide, protect, and take it. Whatever the moods are, whatever's going on, her hormones are going crazy. She's making space for a baby. She is going to do something miraculous. My God, can you imagine having that kind of thing happening to your body? Take it. Take it. It's normal to take it. Then she mm. has the child and she has to breastfeed every, what is it, four hours or something. And there's all of those hormones and taking care of this thing whose, he- whose neck doesn't work. And it's like that scary phase. 
and then she needs to take care of it and it's probably her values and her family ways that will take over and this is where very often the man feels abandoned even during the pregnancy the man can feel abandoned and when a man feels abandoned he turns into a scared little boy but now mummy or wifey is not going to take care he needs to take care of himself and preferably speak with other men who've been through it to figure out how they've navigated such a thing because it's not personal it's not about you it's about her it's about her baby and even she doesn't know what's going on with her hormones and rightfully so and so it just goes on and on with layers of i don't belong here i'm a spare part i don't know how to do this i will do my best to provide and protect and stay out of trouble and get as much love and attention as i can without being a menace or a nuisance. And this is where we need to man up and the man in us take care of the child in us rather than expecting her or anyone else to take care of the child in us because there's a real child that we made on the scene and no one can compete with that child. And yeah, you're right, and nor, and nor should they. But you've, it's it's really interesting, man, this stuff you're saying. And I, as we're talking here, I do think that already there'd have been some ladies listening that would have gone, moaning, you know, like they, because there is something intrinsic in, in the female mind at a certain age where I get it, because if you've got children, you, you know, and if you are in the situation, hashtag not all women are, but if you're running the house... A moaning man really is the last thing that you need, if we're, if we're honest. You know, a fully grown man that's supposed mm-hmm. to be taking care, care of himself. But there's, it does create a dual pressure at the moment, which is talk about your problems more, but also shut the fuck up. You know what I mean? That, yeah. That is, that's quite talk common. About them, but maybe yeah. not with me. Go off and talk yeah. about them with someone else because I'm taking yeah. care of the family and the finances and the kids and the food and God knows what else. And I don't need you to be another whinging boy. We've made well, some children and I'm taking care of them. And this is where we can man up and talk about it with our peers. And hopefully how everyone's failed because we can learn from each other's failures as much as successes. This is really interesting you say this because I, I was speaking on the Trigonometry podcast, which people should check out on YouTube, mm. uh, speaking with Francis and, and Constantine. And we were talking about one of the reasons blokes don't do that is because they feel like talking about their partner in a critical way to other men is treacherous, right? I think this is this hasn't been discussed much and it's quite common. You think like you can only talk about the problems with your wife with your wife and no one has ever told me to think that. There's just something in me that thinks that that is somehow breaking the rules of the fucking battalion mm. that is our relationship betrayal. and stepping out. Yeah, and then I sort of think betrayal and then when I'm with my pals, you know, you then think if you if you say something critical or personal about your wife, you go then, well, I'm then burdening them because then the next time they see my missus, they're like, they know information that we see as quite personal. Whereas mm. it's just literally a different mindset, isn't it? Women are like, get together, God is useless for this. God, and, and, you know, problem shared is a problem halved. But then there are ways of talking about things that aren't bitchy. It's not she made me feel. It's more when so-and-so happened, I felt like this. And Mm. I don't know how to manage this situation better. So it's not a victim conversation. It's not blaming. It's not I'm a victim in this. It's this is my situation and I don't know how to do better. Has anyone been in a similar situation and how did you do it? Then we get to learn from each other rather than I'm a victim, she's bad, this one's good, and, you know, where... 
we're okay and they're doing it wrong and we're, we're the victims. It's not a victim club. It's a, how did you do it? This is where I am. How did you do it? Then we're all in it together and we can learn. Okay, just uh, we've been speaking about some some. Re- I think there's some really important emotional stuff that you're saying, and, and and this kind of dialogue. I hope it's. I hope it, I know that there are some blokes who listen to my podcast. That the moment we start talking emotions, Kenny, they're like, "Fuck you!" He's doing it again. He's doing it again. <laughs> but I just I just think hearing just hearing that's how it is for me. Just realizing you're not going mental. So I hope that there's value in that. Just something more lighthearted, just to bring this to a close. Is one of the other things I talk in the books is about the everyday stuff. You know. Um, there's one of the chapters early on in the book, which is why don't men wear sun cream, right? And um, statistically speaking, we don't. I just thought I'd sort of scratch your head, you know, um, pick your brain, Ross. Scratch your head? No, pick your brain. (laughs) Why don't men wear sun cream, do you think? I could talk about myself and it would be, I wouldn't know what to buy. It's like my wife should have bought it for me. In fact, where is she? She'd be putting it on me. And this is the basic (laughs) self-care thing. Do men, do we self-care? Do we go to the doctor? Um, I would say most men I know think, shit, there's something wrong with me. I'd better not find out because if it's bad, then I'm letting everyone down. So I'll pretend it's not going on. It will go away and everything will be fine. And nine times out of ten, it won't go away. And this is why so many men, for example, the statistics are off the scale, die of, say, testicular cancer or stuff like that. We need to get tested. We need to take responsibility for our self-care. We need to go to the doctor and we need to man up and talk about it. And if I was with my mates on the beach, I wouldn't think, oi, kiss a rub down with this sun cream, would you? No, I just... (laughs) And then I wouldn't want to reach back and do it myself in case one of them wants to. And it's one of the ones where I think, no, I don't want you to be rubbing shit on me. <laughs> it's so weird, isn't it? Like I, I just even right now, it's making me uncomfortable thinking about my my friends and me putting sun cream on each other. And, and, and is it is it a fear that we lather up? That's not. Yeah, I just is it fear that we might enjoy it? Is that the fear? <laughs> perhaps they might they might have a surprisingly tender touch and it's ridiculous. <laughs> I think there's loads of stuff going on. I also think it's just men. Generally, you know, don't put as many creams and, and potions on, you know, and stuff on their body. So yeah. we're not match fit. So at the point, maybe twice a year, where we're sitting in a public spot and we've got to apply a cream to our body, we just got no efficient fucking way of doing that. Do you know what yeah. I mean? We don't know. Am I, do I squirt on the hand or straighten the body? You know, <laughs> like I've got very hairy legs. That seems to absorb a lot of the cream. Oh, Kenny, you know I have to take it immature at the end. I can't, I can't you know, this is, humour is my big, this is the, maybe that's the thing, if, if I ever truly manned up, maybe I'd stop telling jokes because I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure psychologically jokes are the, the ultimate defence mechanism. Um, listen, man, I know that obviously your men's groups are, are going on. Is there anything you want to push people that their, their curiosity is being twigged by this way of talking and the different way that you come at talking therapies for men? Um, mensgroups.co.uk we have been holding online groups every day since the day we went on lockdown uh, and it's going strong. And people seriously, just today we were talking about mothers, death, dementia, children, um, and having a laugh and how important having a laugh is and everything else. Um, It's really important to man up and talk about it. And I'm training more and more people because, you know, I'm getting old now. So I want to pass the tools on. Um, get a knighthood and die. 
You're like you're like the Yoda of men's talking therapies, Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> the man Yoda. <laughs> Listen, man, it's always an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Do give Kenny a follow wherever he exists. Are most of your handles the man whisperer or Kenny or your name? I don't even know. I, I'm too old to do social media. It's all there somewhere. <laughs> That's how Kenny fucking Zeddy is. Kenny the man whisperer or something? I don't know. Look, no, I mean, I'm sure Yoda would say something like, if you want it, find it, you will. There you go. That's <laughs> philosophical, isn't it? Uh, Kenny, thanks for coming back on the show. Pleasure. Okay, that was the chat with uh, Kenny Marmorella de Cruz. Do check out his men's groups. I know for some of you, I try to keep those chats light and funny and childish even, uh, and some of you don't like it, but I, I think I always get messages from those of you uh, that do, and, and if you want to check out his men's groups. Uh, seriously, Matt, if you're, if at the moment, if you're sad and anxious and, and you're not talking, there's no one you feel you can talk to, then, then please just, just try it, man. Just fucking try it. Just once. Man up. Man up and give it a try, you pussy. And of course, if you're interested in any of the themes there around the British bloke decoded, it's going to be all that stuff and loads more. Uh, it's out in early September, so you can go on and pre-order it via Amazon or Waterstones or... I, th I think it's just Amazon and Waterstones, to be honest. Um, okay, we're going to do uh, a letter, then a review, and then we're out. Okay, in this week's letter, so we spoke with Leo about the idea that Waitrose... Uh, is not good value anymore. Well, I mean, the Edinburgh Fringe, now Waitrose, what is happening to middle-class products? Um, but we had a letter from Rob who says that for a while he switched from Waitrose back to Morrison's and he was explaining some of the shit he saw there. People in their pyjamas and fluffy slippers avoiding the fresh fruit and veg aisle at midday. I know exactly what you're saying. I like the level of judginess there. I personally think that anybody who's still in their pyjamas after 9 a.m., you've given up. Okay, if you're sitting in your pajamas after nine a.m. and you're wearing a hat, just fuck it, just start taking heroin, man. It's done. Uh, <laughs> however, um, then he says that he goes to a rougher supermarket after about five p.m. and he saw two women on mobility scooters fighting. Well, that is fine as long as it's formalised and that there are rules. I would argue that there is a there's a massive audience for that, just not uh, in a Morrison's. You know, I mean, I mentioned gladiators earlier. I think. Two <laughs> women on mobility scooters fighting. Look, I spoke about how the hell, how do you create, a, you know, how do you become famous now? I would say two women on mobility scooters fighting is a guaranteed TikTok hit. Okay, so if there's anybody, I'll put in 500 quids worth of production budget and, and let's make a million. So what basically what he's saying is that with Waitrose, you pay the extra to sort of shop around inoffensive Lib Dems. Okay, we have had quite a few lovely reviews recently, so let's read out a couple of those before we go. I'll try and do the accents. Uh, this is from Westy Cake. Westy Cake, oh, you from the West Country, are you? I'm not politically on the same wavelength as Jeff, but he is really funny and does, some, does make some interesting observations. More power to him. Is that a deliberate effort to neg me at the end? More power to him just sounds like, oh, any... Despite his disabilities, he's done really well for himself. So a reminder, if you leave a five-star review on iTunes, I will endeavour to read it out. Uh, this is from Bajigud. Oh, this is one of my favourite podcasts after trigonometry. After tri oh, What's going on here? If I, just be nice. If it's a five-star, be nice. And then, although Jeff has allowed too many left-wing elite wokesters to mouth off, <laughs> it's nice to hear some wider views with humour thrown in. Ivan Isaac Ivanovich. 
I look forward to listening to this podcast every week. Jeff discussed the issues of the day with a range of interesting guests from different points on political spectrum, mixed with a good dose of humor. This podcast has given me respect for people I thought I would never agree with. So good on Jeff for not just speaking to the people he agrees with. I really enjoyed doing that accent there. God. Uh, Thorpe, uh, he says after, I'm a Starmer comedian, great show with Ian Stone. Okay, and then what have we got? Ferks, 99, he says, Ferks, that's definitely a Cockney, isn't it? Having just recently caught up with the latest episodes, I feel that Jeff, he spelled it with a J, I mean, it literally says it at the top of the fucking page, but whatever. I feel Jeff is a sound bloke and really does speak up for most people. Good job, keep it up. Okay, so that is the end of this week's show, and I think there's some good takeaways from this gig, one of which is... You know, don't cancel comedy gigs. The second of which is, don't speak to your wife about your problems because she's she's already too busy. And the third is, just make sure you speak to someone. I'll see you next week.